that's how I started. I was I was constantly striving for for people to listen to my music, you know, with my dis- mobile disco. And anywhere that I went with it, um, you know, Coxie would have a party, people would come. So I created my own entity, my own thing. I was kind of like the Pied Piper of, 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 of parties in the area of where I was. And also, uh, it, we had these other DJs we looked up to, of course, at a particular moment in time, um, one of them being Greg Edwards. And he was an American that, that basically ended up in the UK and, and he used to have a Saturday night show on Capital Radio, um, which was, was, was fantastic. We used to follow DJs like George Power. I uh, used to play at a club called Crackers. Um, yeah. of Norman Jay was a young guy at the time and he used to play. But uh, that's how I, I kind of was always going to clubs to listen to the music and I was always dancing to this music and loving it for all it was worth. Um, used to, used to be a guy called Mark Damon, uh, and, and white guy, curly hair, you know, beard. He, he looked like the unlikeliest person to ever be a DJ, but man, I saw, did he, yeah, I saw his, I saw you, something, a picture with him. Yes. He looks like, yeah, yes. he read a, yeah, he would read, looks like someone's going to read a book to you. <laughs> yeah, it was unlikely. He didn't mix a toffee. He didn't mix nothing. He just played the records. But my God, the tunes he played on a Tuesday night. And I was still young. I was like 16, 17 years old, you know, got my dad's, got my dad's shirt on, bit of a moustache, you know. <laughs> I go there. Got let in on a Tuesday night, this was, you know. The next day I had to go to school. But that's where I would hear. I, I, re- I remember going to Scamps on a Tuesday night and hearing uh, Prince being played for the first time. I want to be your lover. When that record came out, I was just like, holy shit, this track is so good, you know? Um, and can you imagine after all those years, over the last maybe three or four years ago, it got remixed. It, you know, people started to understand Prince's music a little bit more. I mean, unfortunately, rest his soul. He's, he's not with us anymore. But yeah. that's the legacy that he left. That track, I Want to Be a Lover, was the first thing I ever heard of from that man and became a legend, of course, in the end. But I was there. I was right there. You know, I went and bought that album and everything that goes with it. Um, and that was me. I was in, you know. And everyone around me at the time were like, well, you know, it's just a hobby, Coxie. You're going to need to find a proper job, um, which I Oh, yeah. I, uh, Coxie, I heard the same thing, brother. You mm. think you're going to do that for a living? You think you, you, you're going to be like the guy? Never forget. You're going to be like the guy in the corner with the hat. We're throwing change in there, right? And then this is what, because our parents thought real work was working at the bank or electrician. They didn't think this was a good back then. This wasn't really an occupation then, when when you were coming up. No, absolutely not. And and you know, I, I kind of almost started to doubt myself in in my ability to make it into a, into some sort of career. But I didn't really pursue it, to be honest. And I never, and even today, I don't really pursue it. You know, I always said to myself, if I ever do this job and people come and see me play and I want to pay to see me play, the money that I get is a bonus because I love playing music. I've always, I've always have done. And that's always been the reason. And, and people always ask me, how comes you're still here after so, so long? Because I never really pursued anything. I've never wanted to be number one DJ. I never wanted to be uh, number one in, in Beatport or the top of the tree with my music releases. I just do it anyway and hope that people enjoy the soul of the reason why I do it. And that's why I, I, I can play so many different genres because I love electronic music. I love, I love funk music. I love techno. I love drum and bass. I love rave music. I love hardcore uh, 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 kind of speed metal. 
whatever you want to call that. I, 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 I mean, I'm just in. It just so all I did was, in the end of the day, was perfect the sound of, of who I am, which is house music and techno music. That's all. And for me, techno music came from disco music. So That's I right. love disco because of the driver disco drove techno music in the end of the day. So when, when disco was being made, disco music being made was by a band. And then you had an arranger and you had someone to do the mix. And then eventually once you had the track down, then you had someone to do the edits. So you got somewhere to tape and doing those dodgy edits. You know, you'd be playing a disco, a disco break, and it'd be going really well. And then the edit was so bad when it came out, you're like, Could you? oh, shit. So it was so hard to mix that stuff in the early days. You had to be on your game to, to, to try and do a mixer to kind of like to roll with it because sometimes those edits weren't, weren't on the game. I would imagine that, you know, when it came to the guy that's doing the edits, he was, he's probably been in the studio for like six months or something, you know, doing nights. And he's like, oh, okay, no problem. And, you know, and it's just... <laughs> well, you know, you know, it took me to go to Earl Young's house to interview him because this is the guy behind the time machine, a Salso Orchestra, Tramps. And I asked him the first question. I said, yo, dude, Earl, did you use a metronome? Like a click, click. He's like, no, man, I'm the metronome. He's So if he slowed down, the whole band slows down. That's why those records, when you're doing with the pitch, you're moving that pitch back and forth like a boat because he's playing note to no clock. He was the rhythm. He was the metronome. Yeah, and he felt it. He could he, when, when you play these records back, especially me, 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 me with Cabin Fever, but it reminds myself of those days. I mean, today, you know, the Manelli also, we'll call him whatever you would like, and, and, and I'm going to sound really old now. So right. it, it, it was much... More difficult in back in our day based on mixing records because today you don't have that anymore. You know, the records are smack on the money, right there on the one, kaboom, on every single bar. Bang, bang, bang. You don't actually need headphones to mix music anymore. I guarantee it. If you start the records on the one and it's on 122 BPM, both elements, whatever you're playing, will stay on 122. You can go to the toilet have a chat with somebody, buy a beer, and still come back, and those records will still be in the mix. You couldn't do that with vinyl. Hell no. Hell no. Are you crazy? (laughs) And that disco mix break was this long, man. So if you you said disco mix break, it's all over. Clarify, but clarify. The record starts at one tempo in the beginning, and at the end of the record, it's double the speed. I tell people this. You had transition records. They used to call them transitional. They would start slow in the beginning, and by the time they're seven minutes, they were at 135. Brainstorm, Love is Really My Game, all those type of records, right? If you listen to um, uh, Sylvester, You Make You Feel Mighty Real, that's probably the most consummate you know, uh, change in, in, in speed that you ever get to a record. But, you know, when you're dancing to it, it did not matter because that was the vibe of the tune. But try mixing that record, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, I've got the four bars, whoosh, <laughs> I'm out, you know, because <laughs> that's the only way to do it. But that's why that's I give Tony Humphreys and them credit back in the 80s and 90s. They were running those overlays of those classics on top of those house tracks, and they were playing on Belgium and Thorns turntables, and you can hear, you can hear it fluctuate, but they would keep the mixes going. You're going, you know damn well on the 1200, the pitch is going, you're going like this. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going like this. 
<laughs> yeah, it's very true. And that's why today, you know, it's it's very easy to become a DJ in such a way because you don't have any of those elements anymore. They, it's they got those days are gone. And fair enough, you know. But this kind of idea of growing up and how I learnt the craft of DJing was all from 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 when I started. And 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 to go back to that with cabin fever, um, to show people where I still come from. You know, after 52 weeks of doing every single show on vinyl and playing everything on vinyl to this present day, uh, I'm very, I feel very blessed and very fortunate to be able to have that, that true learning about being a DJ in the end of the day, based on what, what I went through to get to where I am. And so can you imagine doing that on three turntables? If I remember being in San Francisco, okay, playing at 1015 Folsom and those turntables were on the dance floor. Yes. So I yeah, to see just that people like folding their arms going, okay, I've heard about the free deck wizard. What what's he gonna do? And you're there, you can't escape. They can see the beads on your on your sweat on your face. And they're right there. There's a pictures of me with, with the, the crowd and the turntable. They, they can literally get a beer and put it on the platter. Oh, you I know? know, I remember. I remember that. Because I played in that room too. They'd be like this. The They'd be like this yeah. on the ledge. Yeah, yeah, they like go. And going, go ahead, show us what <laughs> yeah. you got. Right, and you'd be like, <laughs> you know, and and the thing is, you know, you have to step up. You know, if you couldn't play, if you couldn't DJ, ten fifteen Folsom, you are out. So that was that that really what made made DJs and broke DJs. It was was that kind of scenario. So I would there free turntables, and I was just having fun. And even if the record jogged or it had a bit of fluff on the needle, or or, or someone pour a beer, and oh, it's like, yeah. it, it, it's what it's what happened. You know, you. You're in it. You're in the thick of it. Or I couldn't escape from that, uh, that ideal. So when it comes to cabin fever, I've got overhead camera, I've got side cameras, and I've got a camera towards me. And all the time you can see me doing something, playing the vinyl one way or another. And and I loved going back to, to where I came from with, with that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why cabin fever became so, I, I would say, uh, important in some ways for a lot of people because they see me, back to where it uh, where I came from because I've never seen it before. They heard about it, but I've never seen it. And that's why I, I really wanted to do Cabin Fever in such a way to, to show people where I came from with this music. I even surprised myself, to be honest, sometimes with the music that I have. And, and believe me, out of 150 records, 1,000 pieces of records that I have, I've already played that much of them in, right. after 52 weeks. Yeah. If not that, you know, maybe maybe one thousand five hundred tunes out of the records that I've chosen to do to play Cabin Fever. There is so much more. Do you know what I love the best about that show? Because I've watched it. When you grab the microphone in the beginning and you explain how you got that record. And I said, Oh my god, these kids have no clue what he's probably what he's even talking about. Because I can I I knew exactly what you were saying. All of us that grew up around that music, when when you got it, the people who played on it, I heard you mention. I'm like, when has anybody done that? And you actually could see <laughs> in your house watching you with good cameras, very good cameras. They were all around you. I says, good on you, mate. Good on you. So let's go back in time a little bit. So disco sound system. So you are a disco boy. Thank you for clarifying that, which I kind of thought. And the electronic. So you did the electrical apprenticeship. You worked and you built up your sound system and you built your scoops and everything. 
we're going into, I guess, now into the 80s now. So where are we going with this as far as you working with doing mobile mobile gigs? So how does this go? Do people start sussing you out for uh, private parties? Are you doing big events yet? Where are you taking this on your journey? Uh, yeah, it was all it was all about London clubs and 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 regional clubs. It was um, a friend of mine called Ray Lock and and another guy called uh, Leroy James. We became uh, James Cox and Lock as a trio, um, going out doing mobile discos. So we would do weddings and we would do our own inevitable funk and soul and, and disco parties around the region. And then we through through uh, Ray Lock actually, he uh, had kind of like ties-ins with, with certain promoters, uh, Rusty Egan, uh, Steve Strange. Um, a lot of these guys uh, at the time were doing events in wine bars and, and clubs in London, the place called The Blitz and or Planet and Planets and all sorts of uh, great clubs. And Ray would would always ask me to come in as a warm-up DJ for him. Uh, and, and, and Trevor Fung at the time around me um, and Paul Okafold in the early days, um, these, these are the kind of crew that we had um, – in, in South London, uh, but also for me, that I had the sound system, I would basically put sound systems in for Paul Oakenfold, uh, uh, Trevor Fung, um, and, you know, me being with Ray Lock and, and Leroy, there was a crew. So this is how that all kind of came about. So when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, um, it got to a point where the sound system was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger. The events were going, we used to do like a, a party in Brighton, place called second avenue and it was just this house uh in in this great old house uh, underneath in the basement there we used to do parties there once a month so we, it'd be like a pound to get in and a pound for a red stripe and uh, james cox and luck would, would be down at brighton seafront at this house and people would come down from everywhere and just really enjoy our sound our music so at that time it was a lot, a, a lot of hip-hop music r&b uh, Melissa Morgan, False Paradise, into Rock the Bells by LL Cool J, all that sort of stuff. So, but, so the girls would be like, Ooh, Paradise, and I'd be like, Rock the Bells. <laughs> With LL, right? LL Cool J, as hard as hell. Bob L. Cool J, right? Those are the like, yeah, yeah. The guys were licking the licking the wood on the on the wall, but that sound would be like selector, you know? selector, rocky man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, once you ever see Peter Piper, any uh, here's the thing. Did you guys used to rock that track, the bridge of the bridge, uh, Beachwood, the bridge, the bridge. That was yeah. a big tune in New York, boy. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean the thing was Paul Oakenfold. Uh, used to run this um, uh, DJ uh, promo service called OPEC. And he used to go to the States all the time and then come back with all the music, whether it be a Next Plateau, whether it be a Sugar Hill, whether uh, 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 Champion Records at the time, uh, Def, Jeff Jam. Def Jam, yeah. Def Jam, all this sort of stuff. So we would get service, you know, Paul would come back with all this new music and we'd just bust all this new, new music for Paul. It was great A&R for him, but you know, we were servicing all the clubs at that time with all this, all this music. So in between us, about the radio DJs in the UK and Norman Jay and all these guys, they were kind of over there. We were calling and being our own entity. We was. But the thing is about we was, I was always solo in my pursuit of, of going out there, you know, with what I believe to be who I am and what makes me 
kind of have this drive to succeed in in the sound systems and and being a DJ collecting all this music, being a dancer first and going to the clubs by now being a DJ and wanting to basically present the music in a way that I would like to see it or feel it, you know, to, to, if I was a punter on the dance floor. So that's what happened. It, it was like a natural pro- progression. So when the rave scene came in, I would say the rave scene didn't really come in until two, uh, until about 87, 88, but I was playing this music from 86. Wally Jump Jr. and the Criminal Element jumped back. I could, yeah, I could Yep. Yeah, well, with that stuff at that particular time, Rockers Revenge, all this sort of stuff, that was like, okay, it was still club, there was no race for it, but it had that drive, you know, electronic drive about that music. And I was just like, I'm, I, I just, I can't get enough of this stuff. Um, um, you know, uh, what was it, Nitro Express, you know, let's get brutal. All this stuff, I mean, yes. that for me is... Yes. It's early electronic house music to, to, to techno music. So I would play all the, all, all at the time, I would play the, the hit, the R&B and the hip hop sound and all, but you had this drive in this music. And then eventually Todd Cherry, you know, a day in the life of Todd, and he'd be like, Poof, check that out. You know, um, uh, uh, roll, roll house, can you party? Check that out. You know, it's like, whoa, what is going on with this music? You know, I was just, and then the Detroit boys are coming in with their sound, and I'm just like, I've just got to lap this all up, you know. Uh, Screaming Rachel, Tracks Records, you know, Adonis, all this sort of stuff. Uh, Chip P, Time to Jack, you know. I'm just, I was buying this music, I, but I didn't have no outlet for it because people thought I was out of my mind playing this sound. They're like, whoa, what's going on here? Where's, where's all your funk and soul? So, wait, wait, so, here, so, so everybody's, so you're getting the music, right? You're going like this. They're crossing over. They're going like this to you, but wait. So give me the safety records you're playing to this crowd. If you can't play that, what was their safeties for them? What were they still partying to? What uh, they- uh, Willie, Willie Hutch, in and out. Oh, Jesus. I'm a fan of Whitehead. So that would reassemble the dance. So that would be like a re... Okay, let me play these three records, get them back. And then let's play Nitro Deluxe again. Let's get Buddha to try to teach them, right? It was, it was the only way because it was unheard of. This music was, wasn't was really radio. It was club. So you, you, the only way you got exposed to it is if I played it. And so I played it and I would clear, I would clear the dance floor half the time because it, it, there, there was no support for that sound at the beginning. But I loved it. That's the thing about it. And I was very small fish in, in a very big pond at the time. I was just a, a black guy with, with a sound system playing the music that nobody really wanted to listen to at that time. Right, yeah. You, right. You got everything going against you, every odd. <laughs> Everything's against you. You're playing yeah. the wrong music, which is right music. Uh, you're on your own. You're alone. And everybody else around you is playing completely different. And the crowds are conditioned to what's around you. Okay. Yeah. Good odds. Yeah. Make yeah no, the, work. The, thing, the thing is, I loved, you know, the the hip hop and 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 the rare groove at the time. Brilliant music, you know. Still is today. I go back to that sound. Um, but it became it became a bit of a lifestyle. The the whole public enemy style of hip hop and you know uh, EPMD and all of that. All great records, but it was very kind of centered into that sound and that. At, at that particular time is the reason why I played R and B in between that sound to lighten up the mood of the hip hop of where it was going, and but also to have interaction of of girls being involved in the music as much as the guys were. But I but also 
I, I wanted to always up the tempo from disco music because, as you know yourself, disco became a very dirty word. Nobody, you know, nobody wanted to, to entertain disco music anymore because of the AIDS pandemic and, and what it stood for for the gay community and all this sort of stuff. I love disco music. But that's what happened. So, and then you know, and then and then in America, obviously, you know, it, it got kind of disbanded, and the, the radio station didn't play it anymore, and all this sort of stuff. And and also for me, disco did become commercial, but there was some some amazing greatness in there as well. So I, you know, with my show um, uh, Cabin Fever, there's uh, there's a couple of shows where I just play disco music um, and and just have a lot of fun with it. But today, you can hear disco elements in all the music today, all of it. Yeah, it never left us. It never left us. It's around us at all, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to my if you listen to my show that I even uh, had out on BBC Radio One as because I became a resident. uh, Oh yeah, congratulations! I wanted to ask you how that happened and when did that when that consummate for you, the Radio One residency? Yeah, just. just before Christmas, they asked me to do it, and I think after be after be honest, I think cabin fever really showed people um, that I could be historic but also reach to the now generation with the music that I love. And I think they, they've never had, had anyone after 30 years be involved in this music and still today be relevant as much today as the now generation playing the music of which is still, you know, still reaches out. So I'm kind of like the the gatekeeper, the ambassador. Of, well, I was going to say more of an ambassador now of it, right? Yeah, of, of this music. So, so Radio One find it really interesting that I still have this uh, kind of passion for it all. So, so my six shows are based on excuse <coughs> me, my history of my music. So, the, so the first show is all about funk, soul, and disco music. So, uh, so the first record is is Bus Stop, Fat Bat Band, and people are like, Do the wow, Bus Stop. Yeah, and it's a great song, and it's a, it's a Dave Lee remix of the of the bus stop, and it's fantastic. It really is all. And the whole show is all about that. The next show is all about rave. The next show is going to be all about drum and bass. The next show is all going to be about classic techno music, and it kind of goes on like that. So each show will be different. In the end of the day, um, I'm just going to try and play the best of what I feel is appropriate for the show so it doesn't get stagnated. I, I didn't want to go on there and just play all the latest techno music because I think that that narrows everything down way too much. And there's other artists that are on the on the residency that can do that, and it's fine. But for me, I've got to, I've got to play what I feel, and I think that's what interested them quite, quite much so. So the residency it gave me the ability to explain to you about the disco music, but also to even show that... The music's still that great, not even that good, that great, that it still reaches out to people who are still interested in sound, in what, how it makes you feel, what it does for you. You know, if you put the bus stop on anywhere, you can't have people going, I don't like it. I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> if <laughs> yeah, you're not, yeah, it's not like, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, or, or you don't deserve to listen to that track. Get out, you know, because it's bloody awesome. So, you know, after forty years, I think that track is 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 has uh, been around us, and it still sounds great. You know, makes you want to get up and do something, feel positive about what's going on well, in, in our lives. About that music, the minute you feel down, you put. I, I, people know that I play disco all the time, and you put it on. You can be down and out, and you put certain records on, and it turns a frown right around. You know, to a completely happy feel. Hundred percent, and 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 that's all I've ever done. You know, I mean, people. People always, you know, trying to say that I, I, I play too commercial. I, you know, I, I play 
um, you know, safe. Well, you know and all why, this. Because you're under the microscope. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, what can you ever do right? You know, think about it. You play too fast. Today he's playing too slow. He's playing too funky. Oh, he's playing too hard. He's playing too vocally. What? When is it ever right? You can't, I've learned. I've come to the conclusion, and you'll probably agree, you can't make everyone happy. You no. got to do what you believe in. Yep. Yeah, 100%, Lenny. And, and I've always said it. Um, if I could, if I did that, then I would be God. If I can make everyone happy with my yeah. life, then I am God. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, telling- there is God. We do know a God, Todd the God. Every time he plays yeah, his yeah. records, we're all like, yeah. yeah he's, he's the only one. <laughs> he's the only one that we got to call. He's starting to start laughing. But, you know, <laughs> so you're playing all these parties and you got the, you know, when you mentioned Strange, I remember him too as being a promoter in England when I first came over, Steve Strange. God, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Um, I know, and I went to a party, I think it was early 90s with you, and I remember, I'm trying to remember exactly where this was, and, and, I, and I'm not a big techno guy, you know, I, I listened to it, but that at that time, it's funny, today, this generation calls techno what we play deep house, slower, right, am I right or wrong, I mean, I'm wrong to say that, And but I remember techno being like 135, 140 back in the day, and it was like fire fire it was on fire okay so you're playing hip-hop reggae (laughs) r&b rap all this and you're getting all the promos and then you're even touching i hear arthur baker the aiou sound electro and we're moving up when do you break out in london like when does all of a sudden now you go from like you said i was part of this the three guys to now you become carl cox sort out when does that begin so, so 80, 87, 88, I was kind of doing, doing a lot of my own parties. I, I, I Basically, I moved from South London, where I used to live, where I brought up my family and my parents, um, a place called Rose Hill um, in Surrey, Sutton, Surrey. And I moved out 1984 from there, and I, and I moved to South Coast, to Brighton. And then I kind of started my trade as a DJ in Brighton, uh, with a girlfriend at the time called Maxine Bradshaw. And then together, she used to manage me. Uh, there was no management for DJs at that particular time. It's just that the phone would ring, and then they said, "We would like to, we would like to book you, Carl, for a, a wedding, for instance." And then, and then I couldn't say, "I'm worth 150 pounds," but Maxine could say, <laughs> and that's how it went. So, excuse <coughs> me. Um, so. At that particular time, I was just self-employed, trying to trying to earn a living um, with this scenario that I had of mine. But underneath it all, I out of the weddings and, and birthday parties, I always wanted to play my music, which was jazz, funk, soul, disco, into you know the, the music of acid house, you know house music, gospel. All of that new music that's coming out, you know, I don't just at the big, you know, when I was talking talk about those records earlier, that was a cusp of what was to come at the end of the day. And, no, and nobody saw it coming, but it was coming. But for, but we never had a platform for it until Paul Oakenfold, Danny Ramplin, Johnny Walker, Colin Hart, Trevor Funk, they came back from Ibiza in 87, 88. And we used to have a club in, in a place called uh, in a place called Streatham in South London, and Paul used to uh, have a club which he created called the, called the Project, um, 
of which I used to put the sound system in for, for Paul and, and DJed there, and I could kind of do the warm-up and play a lot of that music uh, for that clientele. So, so there was two parts to the project. So the first part from uh, 9 o'clock until 2 was all about hip-hop, R&B, funk and soul music. And mm-hmm. then they were, they were, by 2 o'clock they were taking one out and then they have another queue for people coming in to hear it, to hear Balearic, uh, uh, Ibiza sounds and 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 house music, whether it would be coming from the UK, which is only about five records, and the rest was from America. Um, and this is where you, you you started having the inimitable kind of like rave scene was born in some ways. I was watching it with my very eyes, seeing it all pan out between 150 to 200 people to everywhere. Yeah, and, and so so that's where I was at. But the, the thing was, when the, when the rave scene started to happen, when the farmers you know around the country were like allowing people to have in some some sort of party on their uh, on their farmlands, where where the, you know uh, like uh, like uh, rave companies like Perception, um, uh, Biology, uh, Sunrise, Energy, all these people were doing all these events on these fields. I was a go-to man to get the sound system and lighting to begin with, and that's kind of how it went. But what was going on for me? Oh, and warehouse parties, of course, in, in, in and around wait, London. Wait, wait, wait. So we, I pick up the phone and say, "Call, I need a sound system," and you would say, "Where do I got to turn up?" I mean, like, it was that easy? It, it wasn't that easy actually, because I, I you know would only have, yeah, but I would only have roughly about ten to fifteen to twenty thousand watts of sound of which I created myself, and so I had some friends in Brixton. Who had their reggae sound system, and ah. I would get twenty from them and tell them to get them to meet me, and then we'll give them a signal into their system, put mine together, and boom, 40,000 40, watts. So, so that's how it went. I became the go-to guy for sound systems for, for early rave parties back in the day. Um, but what was happening was that that we were doing quite a good job at that particular time. Things were really working out for us, um, but the police were them not enjoying, you know, what we were doing. And uh, eventually, um, you know, they're stopping the parties and everything. So so I had to make a decision whether I sold the sound system on uh, or or I could pursue my career as a DJ. So I decided to sell the sound system on and then pursue myself as a career as a DJ. And then so from 88, 89, that's where I started to perfect free deck turntable mixing before it actually went out. Um, in the end of the day, around about 1988, 89, Sunrise was, a, was the event which uh, I got booked to play because I used to sell tickets in Brighton for the people in the South Coast to go to these rave events. And the only and for me, and the only way that I would sell the tickets from the South Coast is if I was put on any of these rave events. So you'll see Paul Trouble Anderson, Noel Watson, you'll see Judge Jules, you'll see Paul Okafold, you see all these people, and then you'll see little old Carl Cox in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then and then I'll go there and then warm up for those DJs, Frankie Valentine, you know, the, the list goes on. And then my name started becoming more and more synonymous more with, the, with the racing until I broke out to my own inimitable sound, which then became rave music, breakbeat, um, power with techno power on top of each other and free deck mixing and that, you know, 88, 89 is where I broke out. So that's, that's right. That. And that's what I remember about that time when with um, that sound and you were just now all of a sudden becoming a name everywhere. I heard it. I remember hearing this guy named Carl, the name Carl Cox. It's like, <laughs> wow, who is this guy? Now we know. When I got into England, I got to meet who Carl Cox was. Yes. 
the tweets are, Bait, you got to see him. He's on, he's on fire. He's over the turntables. He's actually, like they would say, gyrating. Because that's how you look, bro. You were moving so much. You were moving so much. You look like you were lifting off the, off the floor. <laughs> I said, either you want to dance or you DJ, and you're doing both. I mean, it's like oh, I was yeah. watching it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I always felt that um, I didn't want to miss out on on the reasons why I DJ by dancing while I'm DJ. I still do it on as you see Cabin Fever. I can't stand still. Yeah, cabin I fever. know. Of course you can. I, I mean, uh, I hear a record. I'm just like, eh, you know. Yeah. There's not one point in any point in, in, in the time, even of my time of life today, that you see me standing there with this music. It's impossible. It really is. So you can imagine, you know, 30 years ago, I'm just like, just just in it. I'm just just in it. No computers, no, you know, nothing to help me apart from hopefully that the needle was to stay on the record, you know, and that was the, the, the thing that was kind of like, you know, flying by the seat of my pants, hanging onto the side of a cliff with all these mixes and tracks and sounds and, and you know, being chased by the police and is it going to carry on and, and it, you know, is it going to rain? Is it gonna be too- right? All of that stuff is just was is magic, you know. And we'll never get that back now because it's it's a, it's a different time. And if also, all the millennials never went to a rave. I mean, that's the problem. Most of most of the, the the party people of today now, it's not their fault. They was never born, or whatever. If they were born, they were like six or seven years old. They won't know what it really felt like to be there. And and you could ha- hear as many stories as you like about what it was like. But unless you were there, you you would know. I went to a barbecue. This is off topic, but it's on topic. And you'll see where I'm going to go really quick with this. Watch this. So I went to a barbecue. The person that, that put it together was Tommy Musto. Oh, wow. There you go. Tommy Musto. Johnny D sitting there. Ralphie D. D'Agostino. Oh, I didn't know Ralphie. There you go, Ralphie. And we were yeah. talking about you. And Ralphie was talking about the first times he went to England and how he... because. That's another disco story, similar but different, like yours, where you did the he he was God, he was part of the end of the disco thing at his club, Aussie 2001, and he recreated himself in the techno world. And it always made me go nuts because how do you love something so like the tramps, disco records like that, to go playing this fast, heavy, hard music? And he said Lenny was like Georgia Marauder stuff for me on steroids. You know, and he kind of <laughs> so because Giorgio Moroder to me is the architect of that sound. When you hear "I Feel Love" in those type of records, they lend themselves to where this techno scene starts. So we, we talked about that then. But eighty-eight, eighty-nine, you break out. When does the because I know Rampling them are coming back. They create Shoom, and they're bringing the Ibiza sounds and all that stuff. Shoom starting. All these small parties are beginning this feeling of houses in the air. When do you start to step out of London and touch Spain and those places? When do you start doing that? The traveling? Yeah, yeah and, and, and again, Lenny, a fantastic question. Um, because I never thought that I, in, in my whole entire life, that I would even step out of, uh, out of the, 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 the region that I was playing in, I, I just thought, you know, me breaking out in, in my local local community was was the best, you know. If right. I went, if I, if I took a bus to to Croydon or something, and I you know, uh, twenty minutes away, that oh, wait, was wait. like, wait, 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 can I say this too about Croydon? And yeah. I learned this from you guys in London. This is the funniest thing. <laughs> if you have friends in Croydon, 
keep them over in Croydon, they would tell me. <laughs> I never understood. I'm like, what Norris the boss told me, you got no people in Croydon? Well, they didn't stay that way. I'm like, what does that mean? But I, you know what I mean when I tell you that. They're like, yeah. we, don't, we, don't, we don't commiserate with them. It's like... <laughs> That's so funny it's to hear. like a bus ride. Like, but really it's like was. that. He told me it's yeah. like that. <laughs> the, the, problem, the problem was about Croydon, and of course, we don't really want to go off topic too much. It, that's where the record stores were, Beano's and another record store called My Price Records, where Jazzy M used to uh, be there, Colin yes. Dale used mm-hmm. to be there uh, to buy. And and, um, and in fact, um, uh, My Price Records became My Price because of another record store called Diamond Records, which was the place that I used to buy all of my music from 1976, 77, 78. So, so, um, so Diamond Records finished and then and, and My Price started. And when My Price started, it was I started buying all of my house music. So that was, that was the reason why I went to Croydon, got my music, and got out of touch. <laughs> hey, it sounds like you're in a bad neighborhood. You don't go to Croydon. Get in there, get out. I'm like, okay. Just go there, get your records, get back on the 157 bus. 157 bus. And, <laughs> and, that, and that's how that went. But, um, it, 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 the thing is about about the, the whole scene at, at a particular time. It was just so alive, the mysterious. Where's it going? You know, when when Paul came back uh, from Ibiza uh, and Danny Ramplin, he, he knew I bought this music. And one day he, he came to me at a club I was playing playing with playing at in I think it's Kingston in Surrey on a Tuesday night uh, for the Boiler House, Ben and Andy from Boiler House at the time. I was playing this music and Danny was like, look, I'm, I'm, I want to create this club in South London, uh, at Suffolk Street uh, called Shim. I'm like, well, you know, if you're coming to me because I'm playing with this music and this sort of stuff, uh, it wasn't about money or anything. I said, I'd love to do it. And I brought the sound system down for the first time. So I, I, so he, he started the club Shim. Uh, I was on that for for, the, for two two months, I think it was. Uh, it was on once a month, and then then they decided to get someone else, and then I basically moved on from there. But it was amazing. The first time we did it, and it literally was just a fitness center with all the machines taken out, and all the walls had mirrors. So we had to go there, put all of the the walls had, had covers, uh, had all these amazing um, pictures and a day glow and all that sort of stuff around, and it had a wooden floor, which was great, um, and two toilets. Uh, an exit, and you just came down the fire stairs to the to the venue, and I put a sound system around in the room, and that was it. Smoke machine um, and a strobe, and you you went down the stairs into it. Now the people that was turning up thought it was going to be like a, a funk soul and disco party. So anyone that was outside wearing wigs, big collars, platform shoes, flares, you know, all coming down like with this. I need to find out that they had nothing to do with disco whatsoever. It's just all this music had done its no way back. All this sort of stuff was going on. <laughs> They're like, huh? Can't dance to this. But six months later, everyone that came down in their flares, they changed all their attitude, their minds, and they came down for that style of music that Danny was portraying. And it just flipped it like this. The whole scene just flipped on its head. And for me, that's where I kind of knew where I was going or where I wanted to be in the end of the day. So from that point, so basically, Shum is breaking, is 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 groundbreaking. Then that whole party and that whole thing. So you're still thinking local. You're still on a local level. You haven't traveled yet. Have you even gone north yet to Manchester to play or any of those places yet? You haven't even left London yet. No, no. I, I, was, I, I had so much work uh, 
you know, just in the London area to begin with. Uh, and then, then when I was starting to DJ and then, and then the work that I was doing with the sound systems, it, I handed it over to someone else and then I made a career out of it themselves. Um, and then this is where I, I start being asked to go and play outside of London. Uh, kind of a lot of it was like uh, uh, mid-country, like Birmingham, Coventry, Manchester, Leeds, uh, York, uh, all of these places that, that then eventually Scotland, Edinburgh, Inverness, uh, Glasgow, you know, it, it kind of, and then as soon as my name started getting banded around, I was going up and down the country like this for years, just playing these parties. I was doing, I'll be doing three parties a night. So Thursday, two parties, Friday, two parties, maybe three, Saturday, maybe two parties, Sunday, maybe one party, one weekend. So you're doing like about seven to eight, seven to eight through the week from Thursday to Sunday between right. clockwork yep. for a while, right? Like for a while. For, and, and then eventually, um, Lauren Garnier and, and Sven Vaff actually and Mark Spoon, God bless your soul. Um, they, they knew of my music, my sound and everything. And then invited me to play in France with Laurent. Uh, I started with Jim Masters, a club in London called, uh, and, and Trevor Rockcliffe called, uh, Ultimate Bass, uh, 1998, 97, and Ultimate Bass became just synonymous for, for the music we were playing at that particular time. Um, small club, 230 people on a Thursday, every Thursday. Um, and we'd have all the Dame DJs come down and play uh, for us. Uh, there was no real big money. It's just that the vibe was great. And the right, sound was that. great. I remember the yeah. vibe was hot. And it was very cool vibe. Hot, sweaty. Hot. And I mean hot. Hot and yeah. sway with the walls sweat. Oof, just oh my God. It was a great on a Thursday night. This just club was amazing. And then Laurent Garnier started up a, his club called Wake Up uh, at a club called the Lorette's Club. So if it, so, I would then go for Laurent. Laurent would then come for me, and we would swap over now and again. And then also there was a small club called The Box uh, in Frankfurt where Mark Spoon would, would ask me to play. And and then uh, eventually I'll be doing parties with, with Sven Bath at the time, big DJ uh, in Germany right there. You know, then the Love Parade started. and I, I was playing Germany as much as I was playing the UK. I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in between it was, was Ibiza. So Ibiza didn't start oh, for me. That's what I was going to ask you about Ibiza with Pepe, because I remember Pepe too, and I know you worked for Pepe many years until space closed. Um, yeah, so, so for me, I'll, I'll go to I'll go to the island. I played Pacha, I played Amicia, uh, I played Q Q Club at the time, uh, which then turned into Privilege and and Chaos Club, uh, which is now uh, Eden. Uh, but I, I I used to spread the love in Ibiza. At the beginning, I was be playing there, I'll be playing here, be there. But Space was always the club that I was like, you know what. I really would love to play here, but I had to create everything to do with space, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But meanwhile, me getting around on on a on a on a, on a now on on a, on a basis of me getting a flight and to go to all these places, and then eventually playing Italy, then Croatia. You know, beginning of everything. I was at the beginning of everything. You, if I was playing in Italy, it was the first time in Italy. But playing in Croatia, first time. There. Malta, first time there. Oh, just blew up for me and, and you know i became the go-to guy and at that particular time you know um i i didn't have a management structure i had to create a management structure so i built so at that time i built a management company called um uh, uh ultimate ultimate music management and right. um yeah. with my wife rachel uh ex-wife rachel turner at the time we built an empire and and that that started the club ultimate base for that with our djs that we had at the time and we were 
basically building the empire, building the brand. But also in the, in, in the midst of all of this, I was signed to Perfecto Records in 1991. Uh, and the big record that came out at that time was I Want You Forever. So I've been propelled beyond belief with, with my music coming out, with my DJing, uh, with, with, with my name being synonymous with the scene of which I would get booked to play all over the world the whole time. And I just went, right, well, it's work for me, you know, that I've worked, built up and I've worked really hard for. And all I'm going to do is just be really, I would say, uh, respectful for my position and also to be able to be, you know, every single time I played that, it would be at the very top of this game by whatever I played, you know, whether it's house music, whether it's trip hop, whether it was, whether it be breakbeat, whether it be hard techno. Um, you know, I remember playing in, um, Dortmund, uh, a thing called, oh, wow. um, Dortmund, Mouse Hair in England. Dortmund, yeah, Germany, yes. Yeah, and I would play Mayday, and uh, Mayday was basically the best event you could technical event, sound and light that you've ever played on. And uh, I'd be there with my break beat, my hard techno, and I just gave it to the Germans, just just give it to them, and they'd be like, "Oh my God, you know, um, who's this, who's this guy?" I used to go in after Marussia, and then uh, West Bam would come on after me with African Bambada. So it's it, it such great times. I mean, all of this, it's all there to see. It's all on YouTube if you choose to find it. Uh, um, but you know my history of all of this um, is extensive because I lived through all of it and still living in it still today yeah. well, <laughs> apart from the pandemic I'm sure somewhere we'll get back to where we were but it will be different of course but the, at this time it was really was all about you know head down ass up get it get on with it this is your time or my time to be able to do what I do and to, and to lay the legacy down of, of who I am as, as an individual I never really had anything handed on handed to me on a plate on any at any point I never was was asked to be a CEO of any record label. I wasn't asked to, to be on a radio station and, and to be command a radio station anyway, shape or form like Pete Tong. Um, and I've just worked really, really hard. And my effort, uh, ethos has always been about that. Uh, it, it's like cabin fever. Cabin fever was only supposed to be four shows from a mobile phone. <laughs> just pointing at my decks, you know, and, and I was just going to play music. And then it just went week five, week six, week seven. I'm thinking, well, I better buy some new cameras and some new lighting. And, you know, we've got my recording studio. I'm going to change it from my be- from my bedroom now uh, into the recording studio. And just grew and grew and grew. Now That's- we're to week 30. Week 31, 32. Yeah, I check it. Yeah. This is the same situation. The cameras, the, the microphone, this, that. The same thing <laughs> happened here. Went from my hair looked like we were going like, okay, this is going to be like three weeks. We'll be fine. And now it's, we're at a television station. It's crazy. It yeah, we're broadcasters. We're broadcasters. <laughs> uh, tonight, right here from the BBC. I mean, like, this is what we're doing. You know, I mean, what do we do? What do we and do? it's work. It's work that we love to do, and we want to share, and we want to. And you can come in t- into the conversation, and you can or listen, and or you, or you can switch it off. But these are our stories. This is what we live for. This is why we do this. At the end of the day, you know, I I don't exist because you know EDM turns up, and then therefore I played all these EDM festivals, and there and there I am as a big EDM DJ. No. You know, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, EDM or no EDM, I still be doing what I'm doing today is because I love it. It's the reason why I work so hard. And it wasn't always plain sailing. 
if you can imagine traveling so much, you'd be missing flights. It'd be the event would be better be cancelled. Something, something's happened with the license. All this sort of stuff, which you know, you have to kind of deal with. I remember going into a place called Marseille in France. A friend of mine called Tom Pooks is like, "Yeah, Carl, I can't wait for you to come and play Marseille. It'd be great. You know, your first ever big event playing Marseille. It never rains in Marseille. It's always it never rains." Wait, wait, it never rains. <laughs> right. What's that I day? Go, I go there. I'm in, I'm in the hotel room ready, ready to get picked up. They have the biggest storm you've ever seen. Took down half of their st- half of their production. And they rang back. I mean, uh, Carl, you might want to stay in the hotel because <laughs> there's no event for you to play. It's rained off. <laughs> so what happened when it never rains in Marseille? <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, and, you, and you plan yourself to, to be there. You don't plan yourself to stay in a hotel room at that, that, that particular time. But these are the things you're faced with, and you just, you know, you, you reschedule that event and hope you can come back and, and basically, basically come back and, and do what you do. Um, my whole life hasn't been just about music, though, as you can imagine. It's, it's been about um, living, friends, um, um, uh, connecting. And, and for me, it's always been about cars, motorcycles, um, um, traveling uh, in that aspect and enjoying uh, camaraderies with, you know, with, with, uh, with the hobbies and things that we enjoy. So, you know, as you can see here with my T-shirt, <laughs> if I'm Precision. trying to get right. Yeah, I see it. I see it. So those, um, these guys are, are fantastic uh, at um, creating turbos, turbos for, for race cars, this sort of stuff. Um, and I have these, these race cars, drag racing, which I really enjoy. So can you imagine I have on one side of, of, of my life, it's all about music in the studio and making music and getting out there late nights and traveling. And on the other side, it's all about my hobby, what I, what I strive for in the end of the day to be, to, to have something outside of the music that, that keeps me sane. So are you um, a petrol head then, as they call it? Complete and utter petrol head. Because I, I see um, you drive your motorcycles and I see yeah. you have a fastback. I, I, I see. Because yeah. I had yeah. a 57 Chevy. I own the 67 GTO. I know. I know that's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a never yeah, ending oh, money pit. And yeah, I have a 1956 Chevy uh, Nomad Bel Air. And it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, when I pull this thing out, it's all full of chrome and 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 just steel and the, the sound of the V8 and everything. And it's, it's been modified. It's a it's a it's a it's a resto mod, but it's gorgeous. And and you know, I don't, I don't think it's so much about it being classic and I'm and I'm old. I just think it's all about what a real car is all about. You know, yeah, what it, right. What, exactly. You know, you know, what, what, how it makes you feel and how it makes other people feel. Because if you ask any millennials about a 57, a 56 or any of those cars, Chevys, they have no idea about cars. They don't even interest, not even interested in it. Uh, because, you know, the, the, the interest in, in to, of, of kids today or the, in our generation is about TikTok. So they're not interested in, in, in anything. No, you know what they would rather see you do? Pull the carburetor and hold and go like this. Something silly. <laughs> You know, yeah. not, they don't even know what you're talking about. But you, but you have a real four barrel Harley or something in your hands. They'd rather you say, "Oh, look, I got my Harley." They don't know what the Harley is. <laughs> they don't know what the, if it's a carburetor. They don't know you're dealing with gas. I know. They haven't got it. So, so I have to have this passion as well uh, as the music as a passion. Well, when the so, music is your is not not your hobby, and this is your business, you got to have that release. You know, I believe. So this yeah, is. Your, it, that's my release. The cars and the motorbikes and, and, and everything that moves, <laughs> that propels. I, I mean, so I'm actually professionally drag racing at the moment as well as me being a DJ. And I'm at, so, so, so next week, I'm, uh, on the socials, you'll see 
be getting back into the drag car and, and going at some ridiculous speed in the quarter mile. But, um, but it's not my first rodeo. I've been doing it for many years now and I really enjoy it. So, uh, so where I am at the moment now with, 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 with my stories is, is based on kind of getting people to understand that not everything is, is, is about just one thing. It can be, it could be an abundance of what everything, as long as it makes you feel happy. So you don't actually have to make just house music or techno or just drum and bass or, 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 or deep house or whatever. Do what you, what you feel is right for you in the end of the day that makes you who you are. And that's what's going to get you where you are, where you would like to be today. Because so many people will try to reach the high heights by copying other people's successes. And it never works in the end of the day, and especially these days now, because I think it's a really good time for people to make your music, your sound. There's no dance floor right now. So make your sound. You know, create, be experimental. Go as fast and hard and dark as you like. There's no preference to, to where or the happy, sound happy, bright, and lovely, whichever way. Anything whichever, right. Whichever way you, you, you want to see it. And and I try to portray that again with Cabin Fever, you know, based on its ideal of sharing the love of music. Um, and throughout all of this, you know, me being invited all over the world to do this, I still get kind of like, you know, uh, goosebumps about, about, you know, where I'm at and what, by what I do and the expectations of that. Can you imagine the expectations of, of my next events when I go back out? It won't be, it won't be this level. It's like this level. Carl Cox is going to bring it. And I'll be like, um, yeah, you're right, but I haven't done this for a while. So, so I, yeah, I, I, but I, you know what? You're a veteran. You'll get right in it, bro. You'll get you right know, in it. And, and, and the thing is, I've done two, two events in the last year here in Australia. Now, which I was jealous, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he's playing? Yeah. We were actually playing and we, we went, went straight into it. Myself, Eric Powell at the time, he, he lives here as well from Bush Records. You know, we're just looking at each other going, man, this is just a gift for us. I mean, it, it's still a social distancing COVID safe event, but the atmosphere was so amazing. And so you could just feel that the people really missed the idea of, of what we do or what I like to, to give us music uh, and, and how, how we get it received back from the punters and from the people is, is amazing. Um, and for me, the, you know, there's, there's so much life in this music. I've never thought, Lenny, that after all these years that a record like Spread Love by Al Hudson and the Soul Partners could be so poignant in our lives even today. That record has so much class. And and the way how you've kind of wrapped yourself around this pixel and still oozing out just just the reason why we exist is just phenomenal, really. So I have to tell you, tell you that you know what what you're doing as well. It's just been just a, a big integral part of of the reason why this is this scene exists. Because of that, I'm going to tell yeah. you something, brother. Thank you for sharing your dance floor, your people with my music. And how important that was to me and how transcending back in the Twilo days when you rocked our chocolate sensation or one of those records. So thank you and all love to you. And you know, I've always told you that, but now I'm saying it over God knows how many thousands of people watching. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, here's, okay. So now I'm going to get the boxing gloves out. Pepe, space, you create a legacy, brother. Come on, come on. Come on, yeah. come on! You tighten the tighten the tape up. Tell us, you know, you start out year one because I was right there when it started. So go ahead. Yeah, um, I mean the thing. The thing is, yeah, the thing is about space, 
Um, and I know a lot of people really want to know if it's going to be coming back. And whether you hear it from me or you hear it from anyone else, it's impossible for it to come back in the way that it was anymore. Um, it, the, the doors did close in 2016. Uh, I would like to have seen it back, back, back open again. I tried to do something within the, the company, um, as people know, uh, because I didn't want to let it go that, that easily. You, did, you know, it felt like the rug was just pulled underneath us. Why did that uh, happen? Why did no, that? No, no, why did it. they? Why did they lose it? What happened there? What was the inside track to space closing? What was the reason for that? Well, well, you have you have a, a family on the island called the Matutas family, and the Matutas family own like two thirds of the island land. So Pepe, back in the day was always uh, making these uh, kind of like parties of for his gay community uh, in and around Ibiza. And he needed like a, a kind of a, a super club ideal. So when Pepe was doing a lot of these clubs on the island, they were quite small, intimate, but, you know, they were a good party. Pepe got known for that, being the consummate host, as you yes, can imagine. very true, yeah. yes. Uh, Pepe is very particular. He knows Come what he going. likes. Yep. Yeah, very much so. And um, and so when Matutas uh, and and Pepe at that particular time, and I would say, well, it, uh, the club opened in 80, 89, I suppose, two or three years before that, the car park at Space, where you see, was just land. There was no club. So I would say that Matutas said, well, if if I give you this land, over the many years, there's a there's a, a rental or a lease on the land. It's very Spanish. They probably had some sort of paper. And they wrote it in, I don't know, tissue. Or some tissue. They went, hey, write, write, it, write it on. <laughs> yeah, right, here you go. In the back of the paper, yeah. sign here. I know, Spanish it's, is dodgy. They do dodgy yeah. stuff in Spain. Everybody knows that. But it's just like, you know, whatever happened, it was very, very loose. And um, and then Pepe built the club as he, as he foresaw it. And then it was literally for his guests and his people on the island to come into something wonderful. Um, and and then he decided that that club, once it got built, would be uh, the consummate daytime club because Pepe liked to have people there, dress well, look, look feel good, go to a club, but come to my club in the daytime, have something to eat, listen to this music. So the discotheca inside the club was just something of which he wanted to eventually have as a nighttime club, but it was all about the daytime to begin with. So when he walked through the door, the, the, the terrace was the first place he came to, and it was a lounge terrace. There was no dance floor. There was a dance floor, babe, but we never used it. It was always tables and chairs and cushions, and in the bar, the DJ was behind the bar playing the music out of these small, tiny speakers, a couple of little sub-base units on the floor, and that was it. Inside, if you wanted to rage a little bit more, it would be air-conditioned, freezing, it would be black and dark in there, and, and it would be loud and noisy. The sound system was terrible in that room, but it was what it was at the time. So you kind of went in there, you kind of bopped around a little bit, and he came back outside, and, the, you know, the sun on your skin, the plane would be going overhead, you know, DJ would be playing some sort of Balearic record, and you were living. You're like, that's what I'm talking about. Every Sunday... Yeah, right. Good feeling. Yeah. All right. This was great. And you just met beautiful people, great-looking guys, great-looking girls. You know, you're there. People uh, are working right now. You're there on a Monday just, like, hanging out, you know. This was great. You literally got off the plane and you went directly to space. That's what you did. It's an institution for sure. And for, for, for so for a few years, 
I would go there. I'd be outside, you know, waiting to, to wait to go inside a club on a Sunday Sunday morning. Not DJing, just as a punter. No, just as a punter, and I would just go there and enjoy it. Punting, just punting to go. I, I go there with my little 50cc med ped from San Antonio. Exactly. Racing but, there, right? Racing there to get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what great memories. Oh, my God. Memories. Oh, yeah. From San Antonio to, to Spain. Yes. A, That's a real ride. Journey. Real yeah, it's journey. A ride. It's a ride. Yes, it is. Taxi driver. And there was no road system there apart from. You know, uh, up, uh, there was no like dual carriageway or freeway like there is today. It was just two roads going like, like dirt roads almost, and a taxi driver trying to kill you every, at any given moment. Um, it, <laughs> this is what it was like. It was very barren, you know. But it was once you got to space, it was just a great feeling. I really enjoyed it. But then I put a uh, an album out called Fact: Future Alliance of Communication and Technology. This came out in 1995-96 through React Records, and React were, were going there every year. They, they spoke to Pepe about. 